Hey there, I'm Jodie and you're listening to the Empathy Talks podcast brought to you by Circle In. If you care about caring, then this podcast is for you. We're talking to well-known CEOs and executives to find out what empathetic leadership really looks like, what it means to them and how they're creating an empathetic culture. We'll unpack why empathy is a critical leadership skill and why having it in life and in business is more important than ever. So let's get into it and unearth why empathy is so much more than a buzzword. Circling acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Wadawurrung people, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So without further ado, welcome to Empathy Talks, Brent. It's great to have you. Thank you, Jodie. Nice to be here. So Brent, let's start. I'd love you to tell us about your leadership journey and specifically what empathetic leadership means to you. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I would say that I am not naturally an empathetic leader, right? So so um, I think that um, being an empathetic leader is something I've had to learn and it is not my natural style. So uh, I think I've become much more of an empathetic leader, but that's through, I guess, self-awareness. And I think it's also by having some people around me that who are naturally empathetic, who kind of are my my um, coach, my sounding board, and, and give me feedback pretty regularly. So I think I've, I've learned to become more of an empathetic leader, but it's, um, yeah, I think what I learned early on is, it is it, it is not my natural style. And so I've had to adapt and I, and I even now, you know, sometimes um, I'll, be, I'll be making a, a leadership decision and there'll be my natural sort of gut feel and before I open my mouth and it comes out, I actually have to kind of like just 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 check myself, think about it, take a breath. Sometimes I'll actually shoot an email to my chief people officer or someone and say, "Well, I'm thinking about this. What do you think?" And they'll actually, yeah, Brent, you might want to change this or, or, or do that. So it's it's something I've actually had to work hard at. And I wouldn't say I'm I wouldn't say I'm there. I wouldn't say I'm like in the the promised land and I'm like the the world's best example of empathetic leadership but it's something I'm actively working on and I love that you've owned that and you've said that you're actively working on it because it it is a skill that I think we're continually learning I'd love to understand what why do you think it's become an you know an important skill and an essential leadership capability especially for leaders yeah I, I do think the world of work's changed quite a lot right if you look and if you you can pick almost any industry um, I think one which is a really good example is like law. Okay, if you think about think about the partners that are in law firms today, and when they were young, you know, graduates um, coming out of out of university, they had to go in there, and it's almost like they were slave labor, and they had to just do their time, and they had to earn their stripes, and it wasn't fun. That usually they didn't enjoy it, but it's just almost seen as the rite of passage, and you've got to do that. Whereas now, I think. Um, I think there has been a bit of a revolt. And I think I think young people are kind of realizing that no, they don't have to do that. They can try and find those companies that um that really value them, um, that they can uh really align with, and they're the companies that they want to um go and work for. And you know, whether we like it or not, we're in a super low unemployment time, and because of our demographics, we are gonna stay in a very competitive labor market. And if companies want to um, you know, attract and retain talent, they have to, you know, think about what is it that that 
the talent wants, not what is it that I want as a leader, but what is what do you know my employees want to need, and they have to adapt. And um, if not, they're just going to turn over staff, or they're not going to be able to get great talent. And do you think, when you think about your employees, what they want is to be in a caring environment? Yeah, I think I think I think everybody wants to um, be in an environment where they feel they feel valued and they feel like they're they're being understood and they feel like you know both the company and their manager know how to get the best out of them that that's what people want um and and that the company aligns you know the company's values align with with your values so um yeah absolutely i think that's what and i think it's kind of interesting we, we hear a lot about a lot about it now especially post covid with you know quiet resignation and everything People are really thinking about, um, you know, what is it that I want, and what is it that I want an employer, and um, and how do they align that? So, I think and employers need to equally apply the same level of thinking back. You know, um, how how do I create an environment where where my staff can thrive, where I can get the best out of them, and, and things like that? So, you actually have to just not think about you know, what is it that I need to do as a leader to achieve my mission or goals? You've got to think about how do I get the best out of my staff and how do I really, if I can help my staff thrive and develop and grow, then, um, you know, it's, it's a win-win for both of us. I think you've summarised it beautifully. I'd love to move into a practical example, Brent, and can you share with us a time when perhaps you've had to show empathetic leadership? You know, what specifically happened, what worked, what didn't, and, you know, maybe what did you learn? Yeah. Um, there've been there've been a, a number of examples, but one of the ones um, one of the ones that uh, there was one even today that um, came up. I, I've got you know one of my one of my managers. He's uh, he's got a small team, and and he's um, he had uh, a, a couple of resignations in his team. And the, the, you know the first my my advice back to him is look the first thing you're going to do is look after you right. You need to you need to make sure that you manage your stress. You need to make sure you manage your health. You need you need to look after yourself first, and that's number one. And and then let's start thinking about the team and and the projects and things like that. But if you just start thinking about well, how are we going to deliver this project and things like that, then all you're going to do is a lot more stress on that person. And I think it's a, it's a downhill battle. That's one example. Another just another example. Again, this is in the last two weeks. I've had one of my um, one of my uh, direct reports go off on parental leave, and she took a I think she took about a six or seven month parental leave, um, and then she just started came, coming back. And originally, originally the idea was she said, "Look, I'm yeah, I'm going to come back after seven months and and um, you know come back pretty much full time." And and I spoke to her probably halfway through the her leave, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm I'm really looking forward to coming back. I'm going to come back full time." And then, um, and then I about a week before she's due to come back, I went and had lunch with her, and um, and she said, "Oh, you know, it's really hard getting daycare, and and this look, maybe I'm I'm only gonna, I might just come back for two days a week, um, for the rest of this year, and then next year I'll come back later." And you know, again, it'd be easy to say, "Oh, well, you know, no, I need you back," and and just think about the work. But when you think about her and you look at it from her perspective, it makes total sense. So it's like, no, absolutely. She came back in her first week and then she sent me a note. She said, and it was interesting. I think um, even though we're really focused on how to reboard her, right, and, and create an amazing experience for her, her first, um, her first uh, week back, we actually had an, an executive offsite. 
And during that executive offsite, I think she realized just how much the world of work, like how much the company had moved in the period that she was away. And, um, and I could see that it was almost like becoming a little bit overwhelming to her. And I, and I, and I remember, um, there was uh, yeah one night there and, and she got a bit teary and she's like, I don't know if I could do this with a, you know, juggle work and, and also, you know, a, a, a young new baby. And, and I, I said to her, I said, look, you know, don't worry. I said, we will, we will do whatever we need to, to adjust the job or, or change the rate at which you're coming back in or whatever. Um, we'll work around you. Just don't stress and don't, don't think about how do you, you know, come in before you're ready to go. And, and, I could see it was like a weight off her shoulders, the fact that we're prepared to be flexible to um, adapt to her and not expect her to sort of come back on our timeline. And, and I know that, um, that just taking that load and that stress off her will mean that she, she's going to come back in, in a much better headspace than coming back in and, and just feeling stressed out of the gate. Yeah, no, they're two great um, great examples of how you've shown empathetic leadership to your employees. I guess staying on employees then, Emboard now operates in four regions and congratulations, you've grown an incredible business. I'd love to understand the similarities and perhaps differences when it comes to empathy across the regions. Like, do you, do you see differences? Like, do you have to show empathy in different ways? Um. Yeah, it's interesting. I, th- I think there's, I see a lot of similarities between our European operation and Australia. So to me, culturally, those two, those two offices feel aligned. Um, India, we have an office in India, and it's interesting. I love our, our Indian team are probably the most engaged. We have the lowest turnover rates. They are super, um, and they're just super um, smart and gentle people. And um, I, I recently made a trip there it's the first visit I've made since we've opened that office and they were just so appreciative and so um uh just just um thankful that that I'd been there and it's interesting I, I found with the, the Indians you don't need to show them a lot but a little goes a long way right you know just to make them feel valued um the U.S. team it's interesting I think um I think I think no, I've got to be careful what I say here. The the, the U.S. culture, I, I think the U.S. as a whole, uh, I think a lot of it, it's it's a lot more about, you know, what's in it for me. So there's it's very much about, you know, how do I get ahead? What do I need to do and things like that? So I, I kind of feel like um, with the U.S., you've actually got to almost adapt a little bit more and think about the individuals and how do you actually, how do you... Um, modify or adapt it just to make sure that you're not throwing out sort of blanket statements or you're not you're not you're not sort of um operating at a high level you've actually got to go down and and really work with people a little bit more individually that that's just my um my observation of the US yeah and I think you've confirmed exactly what I thought you know you've got to adapt your style and empathy you know, is shown in different ways in different regions. So yeah. I, I love that. So at, at, I know at Emborder, you're really focused on rebuilding connections post-COVID. Can you talk about yeah. this and how perhaps empathy comes into play here? Yeah, this is a this, this is a really tricky area. Like it's a really, really tricky area right now. Um, uh, I, coming out of COVID, my gut feel said, we're going to get people back in the offices, not full-time, but we need to get people back in the office from a collaborative perspective. And what was interesting is, again, the differences in our London office, 
people gravitated back to the office. I didn't have to do anything. They were there. Um, in in the Indian office, they've always stayed in the office pretty much anyway. So they're really pretty tight. In the US, um, I actually started started trying to cajole or, or, or encourage them back in. And there was almost this um, pushback, this, this rebellion, you know, and especially our offices in Texas. And Texas has got a reputation, you know, don't mess with Texas. And Texas is very, very independent people, which which I really respect. But as I as I started trying to, you know, put pressure on, on the US office, there was there was almost like a, a bit of a backlash, like Brent, don't tell us what to do and et cetera, et cetera. Um and and in Australia it's a bit mixed. Our engineering team, they're happy to stay remote and not build connections. But I think the rest of the team, our sales and marketing and customer success team, they're great about getting back into the office. What's kind of interesting now, it's, you know, I've been following this um, post-COVID work style pretty closely. And it's almost like it feels like the sands are shifting a little bit now where workers would, I think, love to stay remote. But I think there seems to be widespread recognition that there has been a real drop in productivity, right? And even the tech companies in the early days who said, no, forever remote, now they're saying, actually, no, actually, we now want you back in, you know, two days a week or three days a week. Uh, so I think, I think there's going to be a, a meeting in the, in, the, um, in the middle. But, you know, what struck me, the, the biggest thing that struck me is uh, we had a, um, an, off-site meet, uh, an off-site meeting in Australia as a celebration for the end of the financial year. And I walked in and it was in a bar. I walked into that bar. I looked around and it's like, holy crap, I don't know about a quarter of these people or a third of these people. They've all been hired during COVID. And pre-COVID, I would have walked in, known everyone. Everyone would have known everyone. And there would have just been this tight buzz. And it felt different, right? It felt different. It wasn't just me. I asked around the room and everyone felt it. So I'm on a mission now about how do we rebuild the connections that have been, that have been um, decayed or lost through um, remote working or, you know, this isolated style of working. And I just know categorically that um, if I can rebuild those connections, it's going to be a huge competitive advantage. So a lot of what we're building in our product is about helping other, helping our customers build connections. And we're going to be using that on ourselves. So we're going to be eating our own dog food to actually um, just reestablish and build the connections, not just amongst team members, but across the company, and across offices and across geographies, I want I want people to have friendships not just within their team, but throughout the whole company. And I think that that's almost like part of the fabric of the company. So yeah, I'm I'm on an absolute crusade to do that. I love that. So so it's it's really interesting because you're right. Your product is all about getting the employee experience right from the start. And you know you spoke about those human connections. Do you feel? Talk to me about is empathy key a key piece of this puzzle? Yeah. A hundred percent. So what's interesting, and, and um, we one of our customers, um, a, a lady called Alana Bennett, she came up with this great little tactic when she was at Omedia, and she was one of our early customers, and it was called the 3 p.m. munchie, right? And, and basically, it's a very simple tactic. You ask the employee a bit about themselves before they start. One of the questions is, when the 3 p.m. slump hits, what's your 3 p.m. munchie? You grab that information, you transmit it to their people manager before day one, and then you coach the manager to actually put their 3 p.m. munchie on their desk 
um, with a little post-it note so that when they turn up on day one, the 3 p.m. munch is there. Now, yes, that's nice from the employee's perspective, but what people don't understand is the biggest value in that is the change initiative that, that, that you're driving on the manager. The managers actually kind of go, hey, that's cool. That's a really simple way where I can actually delight that new employee. And and by seeing how easy it is to actually delight their employee or create a great experience for their employee, you're actually starting to program managers to say, look, it doesn't take a lot. But if you kind of think of, start thinking about delighting your employee or getting the most out of your employee and not just thinking about from your perspective, um, it is a win-win. So in terms of you know, this whole empathetic management, I think that um, a lot of what our product does is we, we nudge or, or, or sort of just coach that manager to think about it. So, so a lot of the coaching that we do in our product is about, hey, think about your employee. It'd be nice to check in with them at the end of their first week. It'd be nice to take them for a cup of coffee. You know, so we're kind of giving them coaching and advice on how to be more empathetic. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, we all want more empathetic leaders in this world. Uh, it's been an amazing discussion, Brent, and, and you and I could talk for hours. But, you know, to, to summarise and to, to wrap things up, what's your one piece of advice to leaders listening who perhaps want to be more empathetic, but they don't know where to start? Yeah, um, two things I'd say. One, uh, like get yourself, a, a, get yourself a coach or find someone that can coach you. And it could be an external coach. Or it might be so. In, in my case, my chief people officer, she is she's kind of almost like um, she keeps me on the straight and narrow, and I use her as a sounding board. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes I might I might craft an email or I might get ready to to send some messaging out a certain way, and I'll bounce it off, and she goes, "Yeah, Brent, you might want to just tweak that or or turn." So if it is if you are not naturally empathetic, if you're naturally empathetic. Congratulations, you've got a down pat, right? But I think a lot of people, they're sometimes thinking about what's the mission, what are the goals, what do I need to achieve? They're very task-focused and goal-focused and not necessarily thinking about um, about uh, their team. Get someone that can actually just, who is naturally empathetic and use them as a sounding post. That would be my advice. Yeah, it's great advice. Hey, thank you for your time, Brent. Congratulations again on building the most incredible business. You're an inspiring leader and a very dear friend to me. So thank you for your time and being part of Empathy Talks. Thank you.